With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Welcome everybody to another episode of East Meets West here on the Eat Sleep Suplex Retreat podcast and feed your once a month, sometimes twice a month show, giving you everything going on in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling and a very hectic time in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling is right now and it feels like I say that almost every episode but it truly is because normality is starting to resume in New Japan which means this period of late spring into the summer. It's becoming more and more chock a block with big shows and tournaments and all sorts of stuff for us to break down. And there's stuff going on in the US as well, it's worth talking about. So there'll be a lot for us to delve into in this episode. And joining me to talk about all of the stuff that we're going to be breaking down over the next month or so is a man for whom Windy City Riot is not the name of a wrestling pay per view, but the scenes after he's eaten anything remotely spicy and is amongst a crowd of friends it is Grant McRobbie. Pleasure to be on, and you know, we have survived the Windy City riot that was Manchester. I was kind of happy that I locked out and didn't have to share a room with you. Yeah, it was you and poor David Talkney together, I believe it was. So, you know, Jack managed to escape having a room we used to. So I can put up with Austin Ryan snoring and making whatever sorts of noises were coming from their vicinity, but. You know, at least I didn't have to bed with a fucking walking atomic bomb, which is your arse. <laughs> That's it. No no funky weapons for you to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. I don't even want to think about that. But as I was saying, Grant, there's a lot of stuff to be, to be talked about. And it's one of those rare episodes we've got where we've almost got as much to talk about from the US side of things. Uh, with New Japan as we do in the as we do in Japan because you know it's very rare that we get to talk about the US stuff as much, you know, strong with everything else that's going on in New Japan in their busier months and, you know, everything else, wherever where else in wrestling you want to watch and then 
making time for a new Japan strong is sometimes a bit of a challenge, but you know, there's still a lot of stuff to talk about just from this one show, the Windy City Riot. Yeah, absolutely. They've they've kind of like pulled out of nowhere, like from kind of what felt like a kind of quiet, strong period to suddenly, oh yeah, we're gonna put on a big show. And then we're gonna put another one on a month later. Booyah! Mm-hmm. Surprise. <laughs> yeah. I don't even watch, I really even watch Strong anymore. They pretty much write you cap it enough for you. You can, you know, basically get the big moments from it or there might be stuff on their YouTube that tells you what you need to know. So it's not even worth watching the music fan Strong, even though there's some class wrestling on it. There's just too much wrestling elsewhere for me to be catching up on. For me to really, you know, for me to really pay attention to it. And, you know, I was hoping for, I had high expectations going into Windy City Riot because of the, the quality of the card we broke down in the last episode, but, you know, I was also ready to potentially be disappointed with some matches because, uh, but a Lone Star shootout WrestleMania weekend sounded enticing and uh, I've heard nothing but shite about that show. Yeah, Lone Star shootout is one that we, we don't talk about Lone Star shootout anymore. <laughs> no, 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 we do not. But, I said to you, you know, privately when we were done on, on Facebook, I joked, I love how this Forbidden Door relationship with New Japan and, and AEW, you know, AEW gets Suzuki and Ishii and Jay White and everything to appear on their shows. And who do we get popping up for Windy City Riot? Fucking QT Marshall in the factory and the opening match as well. And they fucking won. Probably the only time they'll fucking win, let's be honest there. <laughs> yeah. The only time they've gotten a win in God knows how long on a show that wasn't didn't have the word dark in the title. Because the only other thing like they had was like dark match. They they did give us what is now an AEW star, but who kind of I think still finding his feet at the time. We got good old Wheeler Utah. He was there as well. What a lad! What a lad indeed. But you know it was weird because they kept saying on commentary, oh you know like years of tradition in the New Japan dojo, and then come across the LA dojo, and you know it's very bold that. QT Marshall thinks his nightmare factory way of doing things is better and these guys are defending the honour of the dojo and then the fuckers get beat making themselves and the dojo system look like twats in the process which it, that, that just never seems to be that much of an effort for them to do, like make that sort of twattery happen it just seems to be a natural occurrence now uh-huh. Should I, did you watch this with English commentary or Japanese commentary because getting a, a version with English commentary took Forever, like I wouldn't think it went up until after wrestling Dontaku, and Dontaku went down on the first of May. The show aired on the sixteenth of April. I end up watching it with Japanese commentary, so I have no idea about any potential story beats in the background. But it was damn exciting sounding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was uh, Matthew Rewell and uh, Kevin Kelly giving us the the commentary for the US. So I believe uh, Kevin Kelly will be there for Capital Collision as well before he goes back over to. Japan, because he wasn't there for, uh, even though he's given live news commentary for wrestling Dontaku, he wasn't there live. He was doing it kind of remotely, but the, the two worked well together. And there's some fun one-liners from the two when we get to talk about the street fight, which made it worth waiting for an English version. But you know, I already I knew about half the result for when they sit right before I even watched it because it took that long to to come out. And you know, I've got social media things. I will find out things one way or another. That's the, there, there is always a way to find things out, definitely. Um, sometimes it feels like a little bit more of an obstacle course to find out what's going on in New Japan because you have to really go deep diving into Twitter, but we get there. Yeah, you'll get there. Someone will share a gif or something out there. Uh, 
there are a lot of tag matches on this show that's going to be expected from a, a New Japan show, especially when these US ones, they seem to start them with the, the tag matches. But, you know, we had some fun, you know, multi-man matches. You had a 10-man tag with Team Filthy versus Fred Roster and Pals, as they should be called, which also included, like, so, you know, Josh Alexander and people like that. And you had Tom Waller originally. He wasn't going to defend the, the strong title. And then the guy basically said to him, why no title match? And so eventually he put the title on line and he, he did defeat Nagai. And what was admittedly a, a solid match, you know. Always like seeing when Nagai comes out and gets a properly go in a singles match against somebody who's not like a, a young lion because he seems like with a lot of legends, they get brought in effect a group of either other legends or some young lions just to basically just to teach them some respect and beat the shit out of them. But when Nagai is allowed to properly go with somebody who can give it back, like Tom Waller, then you can see he can still go as well. Yeah, that's it. Like Nagata, despite being in his fifties, is an absolute workhorse that just does not stop. He goes and he goes and he goes. And you know, I think I think the last couple of years, especially when they had like that limited roster during the pandemic, Nagata really stood out as someone who you could put into a good match with someone, give him 10, 15 minutes, you're going to come out entertained. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you really got to see him um, over the last couple of years. Really get more of these opportunities again, you know, first there was the stuff with Suzuki over the summer of 2020. I think he got to fill out a couple of matches during the G1 when uh, when Naito got pulled out and then he had that time where he just randomly appeared for a week uh, on AEW because Moxley called him and said, yeah, I'm going over here, I'll give you a, I'll give you a US title match. Uh, I believe that was the week he came out to the wrong version of Wild Thing as well. I, and if I remember correctly, we also had a little bit of um, Nagata and Shingo at one point as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he was like the first couple of, of matches filling out for Naito. So we, we got Nagata versus Tangaloa, and then him versus Shingo. And then it was kind of a revolving door where you had like, like the Bushi and Toromu filling in. Uh, filling in for, for Naito that, during that tour so. No, but it doesn't happen too often to see Nigga anywhere fighting in a regular like singles match. But it's always fun to see a match that I knew would be a lot of fun to watch, even though it would be very cute against with all the guys involved. The 12-man tag between uh, the United Empire versus Bullet Club, including uh, Scott Norton, who wrestled in a t-shirt the whole match. But I'm not going to complain about that because the man can still rip my fucking head off in these 50s. Scott Norton proven Bullet Club is indeed for life. <laughs> is indeed for life. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I was surprised to actually see Bullet Club not win this one because as we get as we get to a wrestling Tantaku, you know, as they usually do, they go through these ebbs and flows where okay, I'm not doing as much, and then all of a sudden Bullet Club are becoming unstoppable again, and they're kind of in that run where they're becoming unstoppable again. But you know, they're kind of putting over, end up putting over the newer the newer faction in the United Empire. I honestly, I was surprised, but at the same time, I was very happy Kyle Fletcher picking up the win for the United Empire because it was great to to see Fletcher and Davis finally getting a little bit more appearance and kind of making their proper New Japan debut. Mm-hmm. I loved it because I'm a big fan of the guys from the UK Indies. Cannot get enough of them. <laughs> yeah, because it seemed like they were going to get a, an opportunity to do more in Japan. Because you remember when they came over for Royal Quest, these two got the opportunity to fight God for the tag titles. And also people want to see more of them, but I never got a chance to see that fulfilled because, you know, pandemic and everything. It is interesting. Uh, also, I think they want to display the full strength of the United Empire because I'm pretty sure even though you had 
basically everybody in the group bar Osprey coming out and they all came out with Osprey later on for the main event. This is pretty much the most members of the Empire you've ever seen in the one place because you rarely ever get to see them all together because it's always spread out across the different parts of across like the UK or America or, or in Japan. But what I thought was funny, and I don't know if you noticed it, but during their whole bit where they're all posing in the ring and Gail can all hail, is uh, giving his speech at the end and then when they all pose at the ramp, Oh, oh not Hanari has to repeatedly remind Mark Davis where he's supposed to stand. Yeah, I think it was it was just like, oh my god, this is this is happening. It's like Mark, Mark, here, stand here. This is your spot. Like make a little X or something on the ground for him. He keeps like moving around, right? It's like I think he he's not he thinks he probably thought to himself and he stands and say, Kale, where's Kale? Kale's all the way opposite end, like and I was like, just just stand there, stand there. Like, he's not moving around, you're directing from Okan. Okan's making his speech. It was absolutely outstanding, like, honestly. The, but it, it was interesting to get to see the like the full combined team come out and about. I mean, other than TJP, I couldn't really give two shits about him, to be honest. <laughs> but the, the rest of them, you know, Aaron Harari, reminding us that indeed he is alive. Mm-hmm. The the combined power of Cobb and Okan. You know, it's just it's it's a really exciting team, and also Cobb's going to be in the UK in the next couple of weeks as well. Happy days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great to see them all here because you know it's a very unique group of of uh, guys that have been brought together here. But you realise the talent that they really have in this faction, and how much they could really do with it when they're all together. And I do like even how brief it was the brief tease between uh, Cobb and Scott Norton. You know. You know, an intergenerational version of meaty men slapping meat. That's it. As Big E says, you want your five-star classics? Not me. Or <laughs> big meaty men slapping meat. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went into a match that went longer than I thought it would be. Uh, the six-man uh, Chicago street fight between uh, Bro- Big uh, Brody King, Vengeance versus Shane Haste, Jonah and Bad Dude Tito. And, you know, Juice Robinson, by the way, the big fucking lie. We'll get to him later on. I swear to God, he's he's the wrestling equivalent of Andrew Garfield, so he is. Telling you he's doing one thing and then does another. But he and Tito, Juice Robinson and Tito should have really, really coordinated better because they were basically wearing the exact same outfit for this. So much so that there's a spot where they go, they're all brawling in the crowd and one of them rips the other into the into the guardrail. I think it's Tito whipping uh, uh, Robinson and the commentators can't tell which one it is because they're dressed to a lake and they've both got similar hair. It's like it's like the Spider-Man meme all over again. <laughs> Just pointing at each other. You. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, the commentary uh, was great during this because, you know, Kevin Kelly kept coming up one as he kept comparing this to the the sixth and Chicago Street break from WrestleMania 13 uh, between the Nation of Domination and LOD and Ahmed Johnson. He's like, where's the French announce team got destroyed that night? Why, why did they cancel the French announce team for that? They were supposed to be our human shields. <laughs> and then when the, they do the fire extinguisher spot and it goes, it is like WrestleMania 13. The French announce team are dead. Babe La France. <laughs> Just well, sorry, Babe La France right in the middle of the in the middle of the, the match and then 
the camera work wasn't the best because they were struggling very much to to find the guys and already what was already a not too well lit uh, venue, so it's hard to to catch them. But there's a get bit where the camera just goes all bloody because the guy can't fix his focus before it cuts to a proper camera, but before it cuts away, it's still bloody. Uh, <laughs> it's still bloody, and Kevin Cale just puts it. Am I drunk or is the camera out of focus? <laughs> oh, it's properly. I, I, honestly, I, I wish I had the English. I'd listened to it with English commentary because the Japanese one. I'm just like, these guys are very excited, but I do not know what the fuck is going on. <laughs> uh, I'm just listening to some of these comments from from Kevin. Kevin like, ah, Kevin, never change, never change. You keep being you. <laughs> but they, they built out a lot for for this match, you know. Literally, they brought out a door, and Kevin Kelly asked, "Is that a forbidden door?" <laughs> you know, is this symbolic? <laughs> yeah, but like, there's just so much stuff. They had shillelaghs. Don't had a sledgehammer. Like, what, what else can be said? It was chaotic as hell. You couldn't follow it at points, but as for the most part, you know, as far as brawls go, it was a lot of fun to watch. Aye, it was. It was just. It was exactly what you thought it would be. It was just absolutely chaotic. Um, still amazed that the thing went on for 24 minutes. I was like, wow, that is that is some length. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh. But enough about what Tony Storm said to Juice. Uh, you know, I didn't think it would go that long. Like, I could remember I was watching it and there were a few spots like that could have easily been you know, the finish because it kept going back and forth between the two, between the two teams. Yeah. Uh, Matthew Rewald also had a brilliant one-liner where they did that spot, which looked, you know, it made me, made me wince where they set the chair up on its side and smacked it into Jonah's, into Jonah's paws. Uh, Matthew Rewald went, as a, as a professional singer, I can say, I think Jonah went up an octave or two. Oh, he definitely did. That was like... <laughs> it's honestly like the, gold, like the goldfish bit in, in Scrubs. You're not me. It was me doing this. If I wasn't you, could I do this? Proper, next level. <laughs> uh, but the, the good guys eventually came out on top with uh, with Juice and Finlay helping put away Jonah. And uh, I think the feud's actually meant to continue. Like they've announced a big match for a uh, Capital Collision, which is the show in Washington. We'll, I'll mention the card to that later on uh, because of some stuff that was announced uh, most recently. But yeah, they're saying a great match all together. Uh, then we had the US of J Open Chat. This is one of the many things that I got spoiled for me ahead of things. I think it was Fight TV, even their official Twitter account tweeted out uh, the video of the, the reveal of the opponent. Obviously, we've been sitting here talking about a lot of things. We mentioned people like Coke Cabana, Punk, Music. And then just a video pops up on the Tron of John Moxley walking up to someone and goes, Well, go get him, Shooter. And the pop for Shooter, you know, making his return with Shooter on the back of his jacket. Like, He's been wrestling mostly in the UK since he went away for his excursion and everything. We haven't seen him in ages, but you know the hardcore, you know Chicago crowd to still remember the good times of 2019 of uh, the, the bromance between Moxley and Shooter. You know the reaction for that, even though Jay White's trying to no sell it because he's still technically a, a still very young. He's coming off his excursion, but you know I don't think anybody could have expected Shooter getting this kind of pop on his return. I know it's crazy. Like he'd done that big massive return, everyone lost their minds, and then like it's like he's went back to excursion though, because he's he's back in the UK and he's he's about to take place and he's about to take part in a tag team tournament, uh, teaming up with Suji. Fair enough, but 
you know, I'm surprised they haven't decided. Uh, I imagine maybe do it in the future, but you know, they've, they've got people who they work with, like Rev Pro, to send young lines to also in the past, like Jay White when he's like scrubs and he wrestled a lot in Ring of Honor. So I can imagine maybe in the future we might see people when they're selling the scrubs and maybe they'll be popping up in AW occasionally, like basically used to help fill out AW Dark or ever getting battered on TV. But you know. That's what you expect when young lines go on the screen. They get battered a lot until they find out, you know, what their actual character is. <laughs> oh God, yes. I mean, God love sure. I mean, to me, to me, his character should just always be the adopted son of John Moxley and Rennie Paquette. <laughs> I mean, he had enough fair bit of this in the UK. Like, he even got a challenge for the Red Pro title against Will Osprey in the main event. So. No, he's, he's covering out a niche for himself, so hopefully it won't be till until we see him back proper, whether it be in the US or in, in Japan, you know, with a full fight character. But, you know, he held his own. I think it was just over 10 minutes he lasted with, with Jay White or Jay White from the opening A, dropping with the, the Blade Runner. But you could tell him, like, he frustrated Jay White that he, he took him that long to beat him. And you can hear even reference the fact that, you know, you know Jay White's now made no friends with... Uh, Shoot father, red shoes, obviously always disputing with the referee, and he even starts shouting, I'm like, what would your father think? You're a fucking embarrassment. <laughs> oh, honestly, absolutely incredible. And, you know, long, long live shooter. Long live shooter. You know, given what we saw, uh, I'm sure we're going to talk about it in a minute, which might be the end of the US of J Open Challenge, and Mark's given us great matches and everything. I'm kind of ready for it, ready for it to be done for a while because you know, Jay White in Japan. That's where that's where I really, really want to see him. That is where the money is. That's where the money is. Definitely uh, where uh, the same. I mean, event we had we had two singles matches to close us out. First, we had uh, Ishii versus Suzuki. We're going into it. We were told it was like the record was three two in favor of Suzuki. I guess sadly actually took away the the, the I guess sadly took away the ROH TV title from Suzuki as quickly as they did because I would have loved to have seen it online in this match. But you know, again, you talk about slapping meat. The first five minutes, or so it's just them forearming each other for the most part. It's literally the unstoppable force meets the immovable object with these two. They are destined to go at it forever, and God, I love it. Used to like do a really good job of like making you think that maybe there's some actual heat there because the way all these guys are wrestling, especially these two, they wrestle in a way that makes you think they have legit heat with everybody they wrestle just by how hard they hit them. But when they get together, it's like, you know, they owe each other money. Ishii owes Suzuki money and Suzuki's made a comment that offended generations of Ishii's family. Like, that's how how legitimate it feels when these two get in the ring. And Kim Kelly even alluded to it's, it's long rumoured that these two legit don't like each other, but it's never been confirmed if they don't like each other. But, you know, so I guess they relish the opportunity of being able to batter each other. That's I think they just either they just don't like each other or they have so much respect for each other. It's like, I can batter the living shit out of you and you're going to do it back and we're both going to have fun doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's almost a rule in wrestling. The people you respect the most, you beat the shit out of more than, you, than the people you don't like. That's just the way it goes. <laughs> that is so, like, just the it, way it has to be. <laughs> this is the way. Uh, <laughs> so they're, they're going out the outside. 
And you know, again, it's it's hard hitting as you'd expect. You know, I say it's a, it's as you'd expect, but I don't mean that in a bad way because the stuff you expect and you really want to see in this kind of match, and it delivered on the things that you want to see. Uh, Ishii managed to almost out of nowhere uh, drop Suzuki with the vertical drop brainbuster for the win, so it's now tied up three three. So hopefully, maybe G one time we get a another match between the two. You know, decider who there must be a winner in this ever continuing series of matches between these two. There must be one man who's harder than the other. And I didn't mean for that to be sound as much of a euphemism as I did. <laughs> but that leads me on to a euphemism I'll be using later on that's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Suzuki got the win. Like I said, like, he matches catching with the Brave Brothers. Kind of shows that they are very evenly matched, these two. And then one match got set up for Capital Collision when Eddie Kingston comes out to a really strong pop uh, to challenge Ishii to a match at Capital Collision. He talks about, you know, you're trained by, you know, Tenru and Joshu, the guys that I respect, you know, you're, you're like the pit bull of strong style. I walk the King's Road, so I want to fight you in Washington, D.C. So, uh, you know, I'd heard rumours about this match being confirmed as well, but, you know, I'm not disappointed. That's a match. I'm surprised they didn't try and pull the trigger on when they got Ishii into AEW, but is your fans giving it to us on the fourteenth? I know the fact that like from from this we we're getting Ishii and Kingston, and then we're also going to be getting Suzuki and Brody King. Oh my yeah. goodness! Yeah, that was up in the uh, in the backstage comments uh, when Suzuki got interrupted by Brody King. But you know, Eddie Kingston, somebody I'm surprised doesn't walk through the forbidden door a little bit more than he has because he's appeared once or twice in New Japan Strong. Uh, sometimes like team with Moxley, but you know, he's got this love of of Japan and everything. I don't know if he's competed a lot in New Japan. I think he went over to do some stuff with Noah before, but I don't think he's done a lot with New Japan, so hopefully we get to see Eddie Kingston, you know, if Eddie Kingston's appearing on New Japan Strong, I'll I'll tune in. God, I hope I hope it does lead to, to more Eddie Kingston in New Japan because I think it's a it's a match made in heaven really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's definitely built I think for that particular style of, of wrestling. But I mean, event the match that was you know everybody was hyped for, and you know they've been building to for a little while. John Moxley versus Will Osprey, uh, just a straight up thing. Like nothing on the line. Osprey comes out with the entire Empire by his side, but you know as the Empire do not unlike other factions in Japan, the Empire don't really get involved. They just stand there written on Osprey. Sometimes they find him their tail. Uh, Moxley felt like proper Death Rider Moxley, which I haven't seen in a long time. Where he, he comes out through the crowd and everything to like Death Rider music. Both men got colour in this match, but I think it, I think Moxley's looked better because well, I think he's more used to it. And also, maybe it's the differences in hair because Moxley looked like a proper like blade and like old school, whereas Osprey looked like he just cut around the hair the hairline and just trickled down a little bit. Didn't look as good. I that's like Moxley knows. How to get colour? And honestly, I, I, I'm not surprised if it's just getting colour the hard way when it comes to him because he is just a fucking madman. <laughs> well, you, so you're gonna play in this match? No, I'm just gonna ram my head into this. I'm just gonna ram my head into the ring post uh, as hard as I can like, and see what happens. It's like we have this perfectly good Wilkinson sort of razor blade. No, no, the ring post will be fine. <laughs> this must be done the hard way. <laughs> yeah. It's the only way I know how to do it. But also the most talked 
the most obvious spot, I think, from this match is Osprey kicking out of the curb stomp from Moxley. I think he went on Twitter like, I'm not, I'm not staying down for your friend's shit move. I know, I was like, oh, here we go, here we go. The war of words is kicking off again. That's <laughs> all we bloody need. I know, because I think it goes back to like 2019 when Seth was Universal Champion and Osprey was on top of the world where he was, he was junior heavyweight, but he was slowly moving into heavyweight. And like, so everyone said, I'm the best wrestler and alive today. And I was like, well, what about me? And he's like, ah, oh, well, I make more money than you, which you should never go for right away, Seth. Without, because there's no way that goes without making you look like a dick, and it did. And then obviously, Seth is Seth and Rowan mentioned Moxley and their feuds. So, but Moxley's rarely mentioned the Shield since he left. But you know, it's one of the only few mentions to somebody in WWE that he's done since he left. I uh, it's it's, it's going to be interesting. But I mean, this match was. I, I, I'll be honest. I wasn't too sure how I felt in this match going into it. I was like, it's a mm-hmm. very interesting first-time singles match, but I have to admit, I felt the two styles me- meshed very well with each other. Yeah, because like they said, like like Kevin Kelly mentioned, it, like it's a case of like one of the best in the world versus one of the toughest in the world, and seeing how these two like styles mesh against each other, and I think these are the kind of matches you should be building like these US shows around, like this kind of first-time ever matches. You know, you know the connection between the the two companies like actually you can't see anywhere else. You know, and I wouldn't mind if the uh, the announcement of Forbidden Door, if they tried to run a rematch between the two, because you know there's a very controversial finish. You know, another one for Osprey, but like they did such a good job making it seem like it was a botch. That I don't know if this was an actual botch or is this a continuation of like Osprey doesn't like New Japan officials because he feels like he's being screwed. Like is Osprey becoming the New Japan Bret Hart at this stage? It's just a constant screw job against that little boy from Essex. <laughs> <laughs> is he just gonna like get screwed one time spit at red shoes and just start spelling AEW in the air or something like that? Oh my god! Go and just go fill Montreal with it. I, I want to see him just lose the plot like properly, just kicking and screaming like a small child. <laughs> That's pretty much what he's been doing because like the same was a three. He claimed he kicked out, kicked out for a second. I thought he kicked out, and then he immediately gets put in a choke where he taps out, but the bell's ringing. So it's a whole confusion. Like the two are going to mix up again at Capital Collision as part of a four-way, which I'll talk about later on. But it did feel like it was a bit of a continuation of a story. I wouldn't mind actually seeing these two and a rematch between these two get announced for maybe for Bendor or even better, get Osprey with a couple of members of United Empire versus the Blackpool Combat Club. Oh, yes. Now we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whether it's Aussie Open or if you want to get uh, Cobb and Okan, all hail. And I'm going to keep doing that because if, if Kevin Kelly's going to keep saying all hail whenever Great Okan shows up, I'm going to do it as well. The man deserves respect. He beat up a <laughs> pervert. He did. Yes, he did. And there was also a woman in the crowd at Windy City Riot done up in full Great Okan gear as well. Which I liked. Uh, the best, one of the best spots thing for me uh, from this Osprey uh, Moxley match was I think it was it was a lariat from no it was a it was a paradigm shift or a death ride or whatever you want to call it from from Moxley Osprey's head Osprey pops back up and then head and blade to the front and then they both just collapse in the middle of the ring and, and like it was a vicious looking 
Hidden Blade as well. I was like, oh my god, they literally tried to decapitate him with that. Yeah, Osprey, I think, needs to tone that down a bit with that, that you know, Hidden Blade, because, you know, that's what fucked up uh, Denada, and I don't know who he was doing in character, but he can, I think he said at uh, Hyperbell, he was like, I don't feel sorry for Sonata. Learn to fucking protect yourself. Well, maybe if you learned to jump in the right fucking spot, it wouldn't have happened. I know. Yeah, we fud. <laughs> anyway. I think uh, when he comes back, he should incorporate his like, mask that he wears to the ring, and then take it off, and he's got a similar version of the mask, but one he can wear in the ring. Something like Phantom of the Opera, like... Like a, like a smarter version of what Cody had back in the day in WWE. <laughs> kind of, uh, across Dashing between that and Cody what The Undertaker wins. had to wear when uh, when Viscera sat in his face. Oh my god, yes, that would be priceless. <laughs> but I mentioned uh, Forbidden Door just then. Uh, that's going down in June at the United Center in Chicago. Like a pay-per-view between AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling. We talked about it being Chris Anthony Lopez on Central was one of the questions that we put out on the community page asking, you know, for people's uh, dream matches. And Grant just commented that comment section with a fucking essay worth of, you know, almost a full book episode of like a list of a card of matches that he wanted to see. But Grant, if you could, you know, for people who may not have seen that or listened to Central, which they should have, but if they haven't listened to Central, like just... What are some of your kind of what was your reaction to this uh, announcement? Because it seems like they say that Toy Gun's got a big announcement every other fucking week on Dynamite, but your reaction to this announcement and like some of your like dream matches to see on this show? In my reaction to the announcement, I absolutely lost my shit. And I was like, you know what? Everyone's always taking the piss about Tony Cannon's announcements. Even I do it. And this is the one time we were all made to eat our words massively. <laughs> he put pulled that one out. And whoever made the graphics is clearly a Doctor Strange fan with all the portals. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what it was. You know, everybody's trying to copy Doctor Strange because you first had Impact with the Multiverse of Matches show, and then you've got and you got this. You know, and so like, what are some of your kind of like dream matches for this show? You mean you you put a fair few of them in the community page? I rattled off six in the community page, which for um. CM Punk v's Kenta, providing Kenta's fit and healthy by that point because we still don't know exactly when he's going to be back. Um, Jay White v's Adam Cole, I love the idea of that. Uh, mm-hmm. Tanahashi v's Moxley, which we'll discuss a little bit, but in an actual one-on-one situation would be a, a thing of beauty. Um, Daniel Garcia v's El Desperado, um, not Garcia the entertainer, but like <laughs> PWG-like style of Garcia. And the last two were kind of like, one was technically a singles spin-off of the bigger one, which would be ZSJ v Danielson, or do Suzuki-gun, which I'd have Suzuki, Danielson, sorry, Suzuki, ZSJ, and Taichi against Blackpool Combat Club. Fucking money. does sound like money. Uh, the Kenta Punk one is what a match I don't think it's been talked about enough in terms of all the matches that are being thrown around. Even Kent himself put a flop of... Uh, Long after this announcement went, no more excuses. So, Kenta clearly wants it. I think it's just a case of how much does Punk have any interest in fighting Kenta in this match. The ZSJ, like, Danielson one is a match that almost feels like it, it has to happen at this stage because there's a whole like story of, like, 
it just says Meltzer made the best technical wrestler award, the Danielson Award. Danielson went to WWE, and pretty much almost every year since then, it's went to ZHA. So Danielson's like, I need to win my own award. And so I almost feel like that needs to happen at some point. Already mentioned a bit Moxley, like maybe another thing with him and him and Osprey or him and Tanahashi is, as you said, I propose, I propose this idea on Central that like there's an opportunity for Jay White to potentially be the New Japan, the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion by then, because uh, between that now and that show we've got Double or Nothing and Dominion, which could shake up the card massively. But what the idea of like if Hangman wins the retains against Punk and so and Jay White wins the IWGP World Title. And you have Hangman versus Jay White, the idea of the two world champions facing off. I think there's enough of a history there because Hangman was a part of the elite, and now Jay White's, you know, with this rejuvenated Bullet Club, and you know the idea that he's now in with the elite, and you can have some fun there with obviously him poking fun at, Adam, at Hangman Page for no longer being associated with the elite anymore. And there was that history between those two when they used to feed over the US belt back in like I think it was 2018. Yeah, that's it. There's there's so much history they can draw on because a lot of the guys in AEW have been involved in New Japan. New Japan guys have been involved in AEW in some shape or form. This is, I mean, literally, we we could do like a full like bloody two hour episode just discussing all the potential match combinations that would actually make a solid card. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, uh, I know we're not the biggest fans of the House of Torture and everything, and there are certain people who maybe should get in the card instead of House of Torture, but. If you insist on keeping those six man belts on them, you need to have them be defended on this show because, like, if AEW does one thing, you know, better than most other companies, it's factions and trios. So it'd be a waste for one AEW trio not to challenge for those six man belts, especially with the rumors that they're kind of waiting for Kenny Omega to come back before they push ahead with any plans for trios belts. Because when else is even reporting that a pair, a set of trios belts have been made, they're just waiting for the go ahead. Yeah, I've seen about that, and apparently, like the big thing that they're wanting to wait is for Omega to be back, which makes me think Omega and the Bucks against Cole and Red Dragon, possibly, possibly. Uh, like the idea, like you said, Daniel Garcia getting involved and in, uh, with some of these guys and and New Japan because I'll just say it right now. I know it's a detour, but Daniel Garcia does not belong to Jericho Appreciation Society. Like, it doesn't feel genuine when he calls himself a sports entertainer. I've even heard rumours that, like, they wanted him for the Blackpool Combat Club, which does suit him. But Jericho's like, no, I like this kid. I want to to try and help him. Like, if anything, you're hindering him. Like, you're not going to be able to do the same thing with him as you did with Sammy Guevara. Because, no offence to Daniel Garcia, but Sammy Guevara is more of an entertainer and has a bit more personality than you. Whereas you're more about beating the shit out of people. You belong with the arse kickers like Danielson and, and Moxley. Exactly, and you know Daniel Garcia, the, the most the contrary, like the most polar opposite thing. He's a sports entertainer in AEW. He is the PWG World Champion right now. I know. Like, it's just so different. In, you know, here's a wee Marvel reference for everybody. And PWG places that he's Mark Spector, but he's Stephen Grant in AEW. Oh, I love it! I love it! <laughs> a little midnight reference. Oh. Uh, you know, coming out with those you know, topical references. <laughs> yeah, I'll say this a week or so after the midnight's finished there. Anyway, 
like you said, I could be here. Like we haven't even talked about all the juniors that you've got involved in the New Japan and like some of the great junior heavyweight wrestlers you've got here, like you know, getting Elvis Brad on Kamara v Lucha Brothers or people like that, or getting Hiromu involved with Ray Phoenix. That's it. There's just so many options, and it's one of those things as well. The danger that you get with having such stacked options is that who goes over. Who can mm. take a loss without hitting their credibility in their home promotion? That sort of thing. Mm. You know, it's it's probably the biggest thing about these dream matches. Um, some people could quite easily take a loss and it wouldn't dent their record. And there's other people where like, I don't think it'd be a good idea for them to lose. Yeah, because everybody's like wondering if like, they'll have like the two top like champions versus like the IWGP and the Like the one match I was there, but everybody's won won a big match for like Okada. You always think Okada's going to be on the show, but, you know, what happens with Okada? Does Okada lose, but, you know, he's got, you got to have a big opponent in it from AEW. Everybody wants him against Punk or Danielson or people like that. So, you know, hopefully they'll be able to navigate it because so far I think they've been able to handle it pretty well with, uh, like, when guys cross over to different shows, you know, because they had Joel uh, beat Suzuki and they were able to work that out. I think it'll definitely go better than when... Ring of Honor and New Japan did the G1 Supercards show, so I think this show will be more fun to remember than that show. Ah, that's it. There's there's so many options, you know, but I I am thoroughly looking forward to it when it happens. It is going to be brilliant. One match, uh, for I mentioned, I'll just mention this and then move on because I mentioned it on Central. Give me Samoa Joe. Uh, I think it's several people, but most of all, I want Samoa Joe. Versus Shingo. Oh, oh, no, that would be beautiful. Mm-hmm. You, don't, you don't have to put the Ring of Honor belt on the line or the KOPW trophy on the line. No, nothing has to be on the line. Like I said, just two men in the ring slapping all sorts of meat. Uh, that's that's it. Like they, they just because Joe is looking like a force again. So my God, mm. let it happen. Let it happen. I know, I mean, you've got to take advantage of these three matches with Joe, and I'd say this with all due respect, you know, but he's getting a bit older, he can still go, but he has been injury prone in his last couple of years in WWE, so he's like, give us these three matches before Joe potentially gets injured again. God, please, don't, just just let everyone stay injury free for the next few months, let nothing bad happen, <laughs> give us what we want. <laughs> give us what we want, because, you know, and anticipation for this, you know, we've had quite a bit of crossover with New Japan wrestlers going over to the US, like Ishii and J.Y. getting involved with stuff in AEW because yeah, J.Y. helping Adam Cole defeat Ishii in that one heart qualifier. And you've got also the Bill Club becoming a major presence in Impact Wrestling. And Ishii went over there as well. He beat Jonah in a hell of a big man match at Rebellion. And then he got to wrestle Josh Alexander in a losing effort for the Impact World title under siege. And I felt kind of happy when I seen that match announced for Under Siege because I remember when I got to be on the call for uh, Impact for Beverly Glory with Josh Alexander, I asked him, is there anybody in New Japan you'd like to face? And he mentioned two people by name, one was Shingo and the other was Ishii. So he's at least got to get one of those matches out of the way so far. Yeah, I mean, I, I watched the, the Ishii-Josh Alexander match and it was kind of obvious who was going to win. But what better, what better way to have a first defence than against a veteran like Ishii? And Ishii doesn't lose anything in the process. He still looks a million mm-hmm. bucks. 
Yeah, like when they bring guys like these over, like they lose to people that they by all rights should lose to, and they beat people who, for the most part, they probably should beat. It's like Jonah, but he has taken some losses like Alexander and Ishii, but he still looks like a hell of a presence, and he's still been put over against people like PCO and like big matches, and so he doesn't lose anything. Also, but he's putting over Josh Alexander, who's the world champion, as he should be doing. So, you know, I think they're getting better between the companies now of taking the politics out of it and being able to negotiate like who wins what match without it taking away from anything. That's it. There's there's just so much that's went there, and you know, the forbidden door being between two companies wouldn't say no to Impact getting a little bit of involvement in the future as well. Could make some interesting choices. Yeah, because quite a few bit of a bullet club presence in Impact with Chris Bay and the Good Brothers being contracted to New Japan and everything. He had like bullet club and a five one five, which included ELP getting to come back over to Impact Wrestling. I'd, I wish that at some point Ishimori would come back over to Impact even for a month or so because you know before he joined Bullet Club, he was over there for a little while. He even got a short run as X Division Champion. I'd really like to see him back in the mix for the next Division title again, or even him and. ELP going after the tag belts and Impact Wrestling. As you know, it's getting very interesting over there, but getting very interesting over there indeed. But uh, before we jump back to Japan, uh, Graham, I'm going to let you take the lead on this because you, you sent me some screenshots about this, and I think it's probably, as you say, a good thing that we didn't record before this story came out because I, I have no idea what to make to make of this story. I can't really fully understand it. So what is this situation about a bichet that's going on? So, it's very, I mean, even myself, I'm still trying to get my head around this whole thing. Um, I, there's been a lot of sort of like translations, some translations kind of match each other, some get a little bit more different in their interpretation, as is the difficulty of translating from Japanese. The general consensus seems to be, though, Ibushi has went on, quote-unquote, a shoot on New Japan, or at least one particular person in New Japan, uh, Kikuchi, who is apparently some sort of higher-up in New Japan, who... Ibushi has apparently had heat with years ago because he believed that Kikuchi was um, doing him out of merch money. Um, essentially, some of the things that were that were kind of accused towards him was that he tried forcing Ibushi to come back when he wasn't fully healed. Um, he also apparently threatened to get Ibushi's contract terminated, even though Ibushi said that he'd spoke to Gedo, um, who is higher up, about appearing on a different show in Japan. From what I've read overall, that is a huge deal that because Ibushi actually acknowledging Gado as a booker publicly. That's well how often do you see Japanese wrestlers break cafe, but pretty much never happens. Um mm-hmm. so at the moment the rumor mill is in overdrive and it's one of those things that I'm not going to feed into the rumors. I don't know what's gonna happen at the back of this. I'm watching it as it unfolds. A lot of people are concerned, a lot of people are confused. We can only we can only just wait and see what happens, but it would be hard not to mention this because it has went a light all over social media. This news about about Ibushi and it potentially it could look bad for New Japan or it could just look bad against this one guy in New Japan. We will need to wait and see. Well, it certainly is a unique situation that's going on over there with with this because if this is like as you said, just all down to one guy who having issues with with his, with Ibushi. And Ibushi kind of walks over this. You know, I mean, there's still places he could go. I mean, the connection with Omega, he could go to the AEW, he could go to a number of places because 
in the past it was kind of a free floor like you go between different companies and it was so much so there was a big deal when he officially said I want to sign a deal with New Japan I want to stay in New Japan for pretty much the rest of his career and so if you know the, the situation between these two has to be bad if he could potentially leave the company over this which would be a major loss but maybe this goes somewhere to you know I was wondering like since the other day like what's happening with the Bushi because like also there have been some issues with injury and like real life illness but when he has been there, he's not really been the same since he lost the world title, and you know maybe this plays into some of that. That's it. There's so many, many big things, and you know that's kind of all I can say in Ibushi. And there is something which I'm probably going to catch you off guard with this because I, I notice it's not in our notes, and it's just something that I've read online. Um, have you seen the news about Kojima and his match that he's getting soon? Yeah, yeah, I only saw this short before we started. Yeah, he's, Jima's challenge, I think, on the 12th of June for the GHC heavyweight title, which came out of uh, came out of nowhere. And I think it's a case of, like, I've been all Japan champion, I've been had you a GP champion, now I want to get the triple crown, I want to hold all three. Yeah, that's like, I didn't even realise this had happened. It completely slipped the radar for me, but he had teamed with Marafuji and then issued a challenge to Go Shiozaki. So, that uh, that relationship that New Japan kind of struck up again earlier this year with Noah seems to be paying some dividends now. Yeah, I'd almost forgot they had like, that kind of relationship with with Noah, but you know, fair enough. I don't expect him to to win. It would be it'd be awesome if he did, because if he could come over in, on a New Japan show wearing the GHC belt, it would be pretty cool. Again, showing that not just between Japan and the US and people like Impact and. New Japan and AEW that they've got the forbidden door, but also the idea of like the forbidden door almost between companies in Japan as well. So there it is, you know. If I can find a way to bloody watch it, then I will try and check that match out. Aye, if I can get a way to watch it, that's that's definitely getting checked out. That's that's got potential show still. But that that's me kinda of went through my things that have kind of deviated from your notes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I mean, there's so much happening. Some things are going to you know, slip past this. Well, something I should mention about EW that they've now got EW with Japanese commentary on, uh, on New Japan on World. New Japan World. Yep. <laughs> I don't know why I've in my brain took a mild intermission just there between words. But yeah, but then apparently like it was full episodes of Rampage and EW Dynamite. So I thought, oh, they're going to be they're going to upload the English versions as well. So. That would be good for me because I can't always make the time to watch it, but I can check it out on New Japan World. But so far, they only show you like single matches whenever somebody from New Japan shows up in AEW or, New- or Impact Wrestling. No, it comes up on New Japan World. AEW Rampage or AEW Dynamite brackets only for users in Japan. <laughs> and the, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen, but uh, like from what I've seen, I don't know if it's every episode, but at least the first episode of Dynamite, Shingo was on commentary. <laughs> Yeah, I heard Tringle's one half of the commentary. I don't know, like, how far in advance they can get to record or whatever, like, so I don't know if Tringle always has the time to, but so I don't know if he's a full-time commentator, but, you know, I'd be interested to, to hear from somebody who speaks better Japanese than I do, which is, I speak none of it, so I'd like to hear from someone who can speak Japanese how good of a commentator exactly is Shingo Takagi. Yeah, I, I'll need to dig it up again at some point. I did see like a whole list of like translations of the things he was saying, and I was actually quite interested in it because it kind of showed you his perspective on the wrestling world and that 
it seems like maybe like a lot of New Japan guys, it kind of focuses on what's going on there and doesn't really look to the rest of the world. They just focus on doing the best that they can do. Yeah, so that's interesting. You see that they've now got a bit of shame. I can't fucking watch it. <laughs> well, not the <laughs> episodes at least. And I feel so, you know, it's a first world problem, but fuck it. Uh, so we'll go into the, the Japan side of, of things with uh, New Japan and see what happened on the Golden Fate series. Now, from what I can see, a lot of it, the big things that happened on there, and I don't think there were that many, can be covered when talking about wrestling Duntaku, but Final Night did feature two big tail matches you had, Tanahashi and the G- and G.O.D. versus House of Torture for the six-man tag titles, which they were unsuccessful in challenging for, and then yet another very unique uh, KOPW 2022 Professional Trophy match between Tai Chi and uh, Shingo Takagi, uh, and I'll go in a limb here as well. I don't think it would be that, that much of a debate for some people, but this is the best KOPW match they've ever done. Oh, yeah, undeniably. So, like, I was kind of confused with the stipulation at first, but by the end of it, I was just losing my shit. I was like, this is fucking wild. Yeah, so I think Shingo wanted like a three fall match where you win the first fall after you get a one count, second fall after you get a two count, and then the final fall after a three. And then the Tai Chi stipulation one where it was a best of 30 count. So by basically you can go for a cover, they kick out to I just can on the scoreboard it comes up to and the first to get to 30 wins. And I wasn't sure how much I'd enjoy this match, but I was I was gripped. Because <laughs> like I watched the, this match and then watched Dantago straight after it. So, you know, I was very gripped and then seeing these two on opposite ends of a six man at the start of Dantaku, you know, Philly. Felt very like it really flowed into one, but I, like the fact that Shingo also was behind for most of the match as well, and you're waiting for the moment to see how many counts they get when they're fin- when they hit their finishers as well. Like, it was just I was unexpectedly gripped in this, and I was waiting for Shingo throughout. That's it. it was it was a match which uh, I didn't know what to expect. Um, I had a feeling it would be good because these two have kind of got good chemistry in the past, but to, to actually watch it and just see how much they absolutely ripped the arse out it was absolutely beautiful because mm-hmm. like, like the Tai Chi was ahead for like the majority of the match and they kept sometimes it happened so quickly that I couldn't even I couldn't keep up it and there were points where the there was a bit of a glitch and the fucking guy running the scoreboard sometimes couldn't keep up with it either but Dingo managed to come back from being like it was like 28 to 24 and uh, tai Chi just needed a two count and he would have got it. Then he got a one count, so it's 29 24, and you're good. Like, Tai just needs one one count and he's he's got it. And then Jingo manages to catch him with a second last of the dragon to, to beat him 30 to 29. I think it was, you know, for a match I don't think you'll ever see the likes of again. It was very well put together, you know. I, don't, I doubt they'll make that a tradition, a run thing, that kind of match, but, you know, I'd love to see that again to see how, how, if it was a one off that was so good or. Could they actually make that work? I reckon they could make it happen a second thing. I reckon they've got it in them to make magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there will be a rematch between these two and whatever situation they choose, they will make magic again. Uh, it's very interesting, like, Shingo, he's been never champion, uh, junior tag champ, six-man champ, and world champ, and he's done a lot for every whatever title he's held, so... A run with Shingo being the KOPW provisional trophy holder is not something I thought I'd see going into 2022, but 
it's something I'm very interested to to see what happens. Yeah, that's it. It's it's become a very much anything can happen title. So more of that, please, New Japan. Have fun with it, Gero. Yeah, totally. And you know, it'd be very interesting because it's that kind of title where nothing's off limits, not just in terms of matches, but who can challenge them for for the trophy. So if he gets through Taichi, God only knows who could step up to fight Shingo for this trophy. God, that's going to be some poor bastard. <laughs> yeah, like I say, as long as Shingo has some sort of accolade or is in a position where he could be prominently featured, then I will. I am all for it. Anywho, we have uh, written to attack. We had the six-man match. As I said, we had LIG versus Suzuki-kun, uh, which is just a vehicle for Taichi to get a pin on, uh, on Shingo to set up a rematch, but which I think is coming at Dominion. But I like that as soon as the three-count happened, the referee ringed for the bell, but Taiji kept the pin and, and then kept saying the referee, go, count more, count more. I want to see how many, how many falls I can get here. Yeah, I mean, that, that match also had a little bit of a surprise in it as well because um, originally it was maybe Tatsumi Fujinami came in with LIJ. Yeah. And he got COVID. So they got the actual first IWGP heavy, junior heavyweight champion, Shiro Koshinaka, in. That's big. Yeah, I almost forgot that Vijan was meant to be part of it because uh, I remember we, we ran to the card at the start and it went uh, LIG and X versus Zuku and like, was there a thing about a mystery opponent? Did I miss this? And then I remembered, oh yeah, there was the, the Fujinami uh, story, but, you know, fair play and getting another legend in for this match. And, you know, he was doing the, he was like the man who pioneered the hip attacks. He was even showing the other guys on LIG how to do it properly. That's it. It was actually one of those matches that you know what it was kind of setting up for, but it was still it was it was an enjoyable opener. It kind of got things off to a solid start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, it was weird because like it was a kind of six man tag. You expect to kind of open the show, but like the level of guys involved, you expect that to be further up in the card. But the fact that this opened the show, and then you look at the other matches, you had two special singles matches in a row after this, and then. After that, it was just title match, title match, title match. And, you know, they really stacked this year's Duntaku. It was only the one night instead of two. And I don't usually, like, talk about Duntaku as, like, one of the bigger shows of the year. But you and I, we were talking about it. And we'll delve into more details to why in a bit. But, you know, we were even talking about it coming out of that. And I think it's been shared by other people that this is the best New Japan show in a long time. And even, like, one of the shows that really feels most like a New Japan show than it has in a long time. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna openly say it because let's face it, we have had some banging matches over the last two years. But I think it's been the best card and the best matches we've had in the last two years because it genuinely felt like anything could happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. Like it was constantly big thing happen, big thing after big thing happening. Like on this, on this card, and it's all about the history of the the, the arena that they were in. Uh, saying the first wrestling on Taku was the show where in 93 where Hogan as WF champion fought then IWGP heavyweight champion the great Muta and that show is also famous for Hogan's post-match comments where that WF title that he, he held that he politicked beating Yokozuna for right after he beat Bret Hart and he basically said this belt's obviously like a toy or a trinket you hang on a, hang a Christmas tree the belt I really want is that IWGP belt like what the fuck did you have to win that belt for then Hogan yeah <laughs> brick 
Uh-huh. That's it. History is enshrined within it. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So there's a historic event and it actually felt like a big deal this year as well. Uh, you had a match between Hiromu and Sho, which just went over 10 minutes, but they went hell for a little them right from the opening bell. And it was kind of almost a preview of some of the cast there you'll see in the best of Super Juniors. And basically Hiromu has been, you know, saying that Yo is not really showing the fighting spirit anymore. He doesn't belong. Because obviously, you remember at the, the start of the best of Super Juniors last year, Hiromu beat Yo in like under five minutes in his first match. And that was part of a bad string of luck for him. But you think they're basically setting up a similar story for best of Super Juniors for, for Yo where he's down and out once again, but this time he's going to come back again because it feels like they're doing the same story from last year. That's it. It was, it was such a like this was ma- a match which I, I can see where the match to fit in. It felt probably the most out of place match in the whole card, but you know they gave him the ten minutes and it felt like old school juniors like they they just they just fucking threw everything. They went, you know what? We're not going to go first gear, second gear, third gear. We're just going to go straight to the top, to the moon, <laughs> to the moon. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I totally agree. Agree with you that like they came out, came out swinging, and you know, like you said, it went tip outs. Uh, I think it's it's some potential for it's the Super Juniors, and you had Aroma saying him afterwards, like basically, like, go home, you don't belong here, and the match didn't outstay its welcome. So that's a, that's all you can really ask for. And then you had a uh, Tango and a singles match, which again is a rarity for him. You know, outside of the G1 that he was in last year, where he got to come out when he's white, you know, white with a bit of gold and blue in it, uh, gear, and you hear him shouting to the camera, you're like a goddamn superhero. That's it, like, like t- Tangle, uh, um, the whole GOD thing right now, I think we both kind of talked about this before, and we're kind of like, I have no idea where this is going, but the more I'm seeing of this, the more I'm liking it. Yeah, I like you doing the fact that they're finally going to get some payback and getting some wins on, on Bullet Club and that is helping because as good as it was the season team with uh, the Ass Masters and with Tanahashi, it did feel like basically they went from the top guys in Bullet Club to just getting battered by Bullet Club on a nightly basis. So the fact that they're telling more of an actual story and, and getting other people involved in this story is allowing it to you know, flesh out a bit more and it's making it more enjoyable. Yeah, they've really, really like sort of stepped things up. And, you know, I mean, at this point in Dontaki, you were what three matches for three matches, and it was pure entertainment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and each match was and it was something kind of different, and that's what you kind of hope for uh, on a car like this, especially one that is stacked as this. Uh, now, then came a match that I was conflicted about because you know, oh, we love the ass masters on this show where we. We're the ones who we may not have been the first, but we're the ones who keep calling on the Earth Masters all these months later, defend the tag team titles against Kanamaru and Doki. And you know, was part was part of me hoping that the Doki Choki would hope would lead to gold for Doki. Yes, yes, it was, but it was not to be. No, indeed, it was not the time yet. The Earth Masters continue their winning ways, and <laughs> like. It was such a surprisingly short match. It was still really fun, but it was very, very short. Like, not even 10 minutes long for a, a title match. Quite quite odd, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, out of all the title matches, it did feel like this was the 
one that has the least going into it. Like, not unlike other matches, it didn't have much of a, a storyline going into it. And like you said, it didn't last very long. It did feel like a case of, I think it was right for this one to start off the, the run of title matches because this one did feel like that case of, uh, well, it's another big show. And so we want these belts defended. Who, what teams do we have available? Oh, we'll get Kanemaru and Doki in. That's it. Kanemaru and Doki. You know, what can go, what, what is, there's not a bad combination there at all. And, you know, no. sets up things nicely for what's to come in the future. Yeah, I think given the FS is a run of wins, especially Wato, you know, starting to you know get more wins under his belt and being a champion, you know, it helps set them both up going into, you know, best of Super Juniors because the last couple of years, Wato has kind of still been overlooked when he goes into Super Juniors as not being as much of a threat. So I think for him, it does him a lot of good to go into the, the tournament as a champion. That's it. There's, there's definitely, definitely going to be some fun coming out of this. Mm-hmm. Then something happened that I did not expect to, to happen because you know it came even though it was delayed uh, on uh, Windy City Riot when they came out, Okan and Cobb were still the tag team champions when that show went down. So they come in here, the first defense. It's a triple threat match, a rarity for New Japan. It was the United Empire versus the Bullet Club team of Chase Owens and Fale, who are kind of a team that don't always win, but I usually enjoy watching them and the former champions, Goto and Yoshihashi. And in the lead up to this, there was a singles match between, there was a regular tag team match between uh, Goto and Yoshihashi v Bullet Club, where Bullet Club won with the introduction of the new finisher, the rocket launcher elbow, which they got the win, which I thought was just done to help them make it look a threat. But no, Jace Owens and Violet Fale actually won the tag titles. Yeah, and I am still not happy with this. I am, I am not happy with this result at all. You know what? I just wanted our great Lord and Saviour, the great Okan, to oh, continue yeah. his winning ways. But he got screwed out of it. And I'm not happy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I know, of any group... And Bullet Club was going to win the title. This is not the two that I thought it would it would be. <laughs> and like it was only a sec- they won with that rocket launcher elbow. It wasn't even it was like the second time they'd done it. The first time they done it against Yoshashi and Goto, it didn't even look that good because Chase had to quickly rearrange re- the direction of his body mid air to make it look like a proper elbow drop. <laughs> and so yeah, they rushed them to have a new finisher so they could win this match. It was one of those moments, you know, if you've seen it that time match, where you're convinced someone's going to break up a pin, and then they don't, so you kind of have that moment of, oh, and they're like, wait a minute, these guys are the champions now? Buddy, J-Swords! Buddy, J-Swords! <laughs> Boris bloody Johnson! <laughs> I mean, J-Swords, I give you, but go on. Bad luck fairly deserves it. Salute him. You know, he's, he's, he's served in a war. Salute the general. Salute <laughs> the general. And I pointed out, first bit of IWGP gold, because I'm pretty sure he's been a never six man champ, but first bit of IWGP gold he's held since 2014. We had that random run of being the Intercontinental Champion. I completely forgot about that. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so did I before Chris Salt and Kevin Kelly reminded me of it. Thank fuck. They reminded <laughs> us, because we could have looked so daft. <laughs> yes, how did I forget that run? 
where he beats and then lost it back to Shinsuke Nakamura. I think it was like a time where they're like, all members of Bullet Club must have a belt. Well, you're a big lad. You can have this belt. Oh, this is good, man. Absolutely unreal. <laughs> but this would start a running theme throughout the night. This, the big theme was that this is the ninth anniversary of Bullet Club, you know, forming at Wrestling to Attack of 2013, nine years ago. And, you know, I think it made sense that on the night where they were selling the anniversary, Fally, one of the, the few members from that night is still there winning a title. It kind of made sense for what they were going for. And then that would lead into the never-title match between Tamatonga, another founding member from that night in 2013, taking on Evil for the never-title. And I was firmly in the camp of uh, of Tamatonga for this, you know, to try and take down Evil. You had, you know, how the Doctor trying to get involved as much. Tangaloa was nowhere to be found for most of it, but then you had uh, Gedo, then you had Jado getting involved to help Tamatonga. And Tamatonga did manage to dethrone, so now Evil does not have two belts, which you never should have had two belts in the first place. But then, you didn't think we had a chance to hold up Harry's hand raised or even pose with the belt, because who comes in to battle? I'm like, I briefly seen him at the corner of my eyes, like, that looks a bit like, that is, that's fucking Doc Kells and Carl Anderson attacking him. The good brothers show up, start beating the shit out of him. The crowd, I think at this point, still aren't allowed to make noise, but there was a very loud, ooh, like noise, because they haven't seen the good brothers in Japan since 2016. And I really like this, what this is setting up, even though Carl Anderson posed with the wrong belt. I know, it's it was it was quite a, Quite, uh, like, I'm not gonna lie. I I lost my shit at this. I was absolutely marking out like a big dirty, dirty mark because we've been talking about the Good Brothers eventually returning to Japan for so long, but never did I expect it to be a case of them going straight for Tamatonga after he's won the open weight belt and setting up a challenge. Oh my god, I cannot wait for that match. Yeah, you big dirty smelly mark, you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Docker, but. I say recently, I mean, I've, I've slid them a lot uh, in the last couple of years, but, you know, with this whole, like, talking shop thing and their really unfunny style of comedy that they insist on doing, which is just a lot of dick jokes that aren't funny. I mean, dick jokes can be funny, just not the ones that they tell. But recently in Impact with Bullet Club, you know, the, the fight against Honor No More and their performance in that gauntlet that they had back at Rebellion and this appearance here, you know, they're starting to feel more like the old school New Japan versions of the Good Brothers, and those are the better versions of the Good Brothers, especially Carl Anderson you know, being proper machine gun Carl Anderson again, so I'm all for this, he even played his old uh, machine gun music at the end of this segment and uh, there was a funny backstage comment with two of them down in a beer and talking backstage and like, I don't give, I've lifted the wrong bell, I don't give a fuck, I make millions of dollars a year I love that and I've actually I took the time recently to watch um, a little bit of the talking shop of vlog and it was them travelling over to Japan they actually travelled with Jay White mm. honest to god it's funny as fuck <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're just having a laugh and they're like getting Jay White to like just constantly appear on video and then they're like it comes up look gallows and it says in brackets this is the site of look gallows 10, year, 10 days sober <laughs> oh that was like 10 days Wow, <laughs> the unveiled new uh, new book of shirts when they showed up because the skull looks a bit different. I think at the bottom it says BC for life or something like that. But you know, with the borders kind of being open again, with uh, this and the the tournament that we're going to talk about in a minute with Best Super Juniors, 
this is hopefully seeing more of these guys in New Japan in the future, and hopefully this means the end of the year World Tag League that we'll see these two guys again. It could finally be happening. What we've been trying <laughs> to guess for ages, it could might might be might be happening. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> you know, even though Bullock have lost a belt, like as a case that they came out on top because I forgot most of what happened in this match as soon as the as soon as the good brothers got involved and started beating the shit out of uh, Tamatonga and setting up a uh, singles match for Carl Anderson and I think he's fairly underrated in terms of a singles wrestler, so you know, obviously I look forward to that. The battle of who does it better with the gun stun. That's it. It's battle of the gun stuns, battle of the OGs. It's gonna be mm-hmm. special. It will be very special, very emotional as well. And then if, if things couldn't go better for for uh, Bullet Club, you know, Tango Lo just got beat up. And then the guy who he introduced into Bullet Club at Weaver Wrestling Attack a few years ago, Taiji Ishimori. Again, I just thought he was a playful challenger before uh, Desperado went into another Super Juniors as champion. But no, Ishimori tapped out Desperado for his third IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. And again, I'm like, it's three matches in a row. Bullet Club is taking over the fucking world. <laughs> like the fact, the fact of the matter is, we're like, oh yes, Cell Desperado's time to go into BOSJ as champion. Gedo, hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a nice junior heavyweight title you've got there, Desperado. Uh, it would be a shame if somebody made you close up, lose it before the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> Every bloody time. They're just doing my boy dirty. <laughs> I know, but I feel like he held that belt for you because I know he briefly lost it to Rob Eagles then went it back, but he won it back at a power struggle. So from November up to May, it's one of the longer single reigns we've seen for that belt in a long time because, you know, we've had some short reigns and then people like Hiromi having to vacate it and everything. But, you know, I'm also at the same time kind of happy for Ishimori getting the belt back and hopefully going into this tournament. He's taken more seriously as the champion in Super Juniors than he was in 2020, where he pretty much did feel like an afterthought while being the champion. That's it. There's, the junior heavyweight belt has really had a rough time over the last couple of years. Um, what we've got to talk about soon enough, though, I think the times are changing and it's going to be exciting again. <laughs> oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> it's very exciting, but you know, again, like I said, I was not expecting it, and so going ahead, like even into the main event, like because they'd swerved me so many times by this point, I'm like, I don't even know what's happening. I'm just going with it. I'm not even making any predictions where I think it's going to win these matches. No, that's it. Like, there's just it, it, it's now going into bizarro world. We are entering the multiverse of madness with Kido's booking. It pretty much was. And then we went into the semi-event, which for the US title, it was meant to be Osprey versus uh, Tanahashi for the vacant title. But then Osprey had COVID, so, or he tested positive at least. He, so we had Ishii replacing Tanahashi. And as much as, as much as I would like to say, you know, as much as I would have liked that, it would be one of the cases where, oh, a person who was a substitute who wasn't meant to be there the whole time decided to go with them and make them the champion. Nope, Tanahashi won. You know, it was a hell of a match, and Ishii put up one hell of a of a fight for the 23-minute match. But, you know, it was still sad not to see number one IWGP gold. Did. Like, Ishii got, I think he's been tag champ, but I don't think he's held an IWGP singles belt yet. 
I'm sick of fucking waiting. <laughs> uh, honestly, that that US title match was actually quite a quite a belter. Um, I was really behind Ishii when I saw how smart his suit was as well the day before at the contract signing. So when I saw, I, at the same time, I was like, how many times can Tanahashi be given a belt to have to lose it on like the first defense? <laughs> but thankfully, he didn't this time. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's still got a defence to come, so there's no telling if he'll get out of that title defence uh, with the title. But like, I get what you mean, but, you know, I get Ishii, but even if he is going to lose it, with the defence, I just want to see Ishii with a belt. Like, we could see Ishii bust out a bloody uh, sling blade during this match, which is not a sense I thought I'd say. I know, I was like, wait, how did he do that? What the fuck? They were having been playing Saudi because then Tanahashi brings out a like, vertical drop brain buster before the, the other, you know, sling blade, aces high, high flying flow, all the hits. I managed to put Ishii down and then we get confronted by, as you would say, Chase fucking hounds. <laughs> Who you think, oh, fuck, is he going to go for two belts now? Because he reminds us, I remember I beat you during the G1 when you were IWGP US champion, but I never got my title shot. Uh, there was a, a, you're wearing a shirt with a US flag and a gun on the side of it. Like a US, big US flag on the front of it and then a, a gun on the side of it. And I don't think that was a Bullet Club shirt, so I'm wondering if we got an uh, insight into some of Chase Owens' political opinions. But uh, he went, I don't care anymore because I think I've got a belt. I think someone else wants your belt. And somebody looking like an uh, extra a prospect from Aces and Eights with a mask on came out and attacked Dan Ashey and then hit him with a Pulp Friction. <laughs> Taking the mask off and revealing to be the big liar himself, uh, just Robinson, who told we all heard, oh, he's, he's contracts up in New Japan. He's, he's maybe leave. He's looking for opportunities elsewhere. Maybe he'll go to AEW where his fiance Tony Storm is. No, he worked us. He worked us all at the marks we are. Yep, and he also gave. He's also given himself the. Um, I can finally use the euphemism I was going to use earlier. The newly <laughs> rechristened Rock Hard Robinson. <laughs> After all of the dick jokes earlier, there's another one. <laughs> like, like Carl Anderson did a promo at the end of the show. Like, he was introducing everybody, and they went, "The newest member, Rock Hard, just Robinson." I'm like, I beg your pardon. Like, is that, a, is that an actual thing? But yeah, but did he Robinson. introduce himself in the bedroom that way? <laughs> well, uh, no, I'm, I'm not even going to go there. But. Don't. <laughs> Yeah, play first. I'll show you why they call this the left hand of God. <laughs> uh, I mean, you get some decent lessons for this show. There's the people who like to hear about Japanese wrestling. Nobody else in the podcast gives enough of a fuck to listen to this, so we can say whatever the hell we want on this show. Because who's going to complain about this? Other than maybe just Robinson and Tony Storm, but the chances of them listening to this are very slim. And if they are listening, we are big fans of your work. Yes. Uh, anyway, I mean, Tony, oh, I'm, 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 wishing for, I'm rooting for you in that one heart to me, mainly because I've got you on my draft team. Uh, <laughs> I see this recording this tonight. Uh, she's meant to fight Jamie here. This will come out after. So I could look like a fan if she loses uh, when this comes out. But yeah, just Robinson is revealed to be a new member of Bullet Club. You know, it, it does have that connection with Jay White and Dojo, but they did feud. For a long time, uh, 
and a lot of people are kind of shocked about the need to these back these comments like if you all think if you're all surprised about this then you're fucking idiots you're like how long is that supposed to play grab ass with Taguchi and you know, his friend how long do I might just stand there on the apron and wait for Finley to tag me you know you like uh, this, so this is my shit like pointing to the US because he's a former two time US champion he was one of the better champions in the early days of that belt before he lost it to Moxley so yeah he's a heel now I wonder what Finlay makes of all this I know this is the big unanswered question what does David Finlay think because I'm actually reading the interview uh, Juice Robinson's first interview since joining Bullet Club where the looks a little bit questionable. I mean, he, he looks somewhat like he's going to be like a road crew member for Motley Crew, but fair play to him. Um, but he pretty much says, I don't care about David Finlay. He was pretty much like rotten old fruit that's been lying on the kitchen counter. He was dead weight. So I get the feeling that's eventually going to lead to a little bit of a, the old staple that always happens when tag teams break up in some form. Although this is a very odd breakup because most tag teams break up on screen. Mm hmm. This one, yeah. he's just kind of he's just kind of fucked off and <laughs> reappeared. And like, oh yeah, I lied. I'm still working here. But I know you called him dead weight. Yeah, but you called him dead weight. You won the tag titles together, and then your last match together as a team was that match at Winnie City Riot, which you won, and you won by working together. Like, if they lost that match, then I would have might have made a made a bit of sense. But they won the match, and then uh, Kevin Kelly was like, "Oh, this might be just his last time, you know, here with." Finlay is part of New Japan for a while, so it felt like always oh, meant to be a send off, and then they pops back up like, no, I'm actually in Bullet Club. So, yeah, like I need to know what Finlay feels about because like we can't even we even talked about like we can't even properly say they exploded because it wasn't really a much of a betrayal because Finlay probably tuned in the show and like I thought you were leaving. Just walks in, you bastard! You lied to me. <laughs> I know. Yeah, phones him up like, "What the hell? You told me you're leaving." And just runs like, "New number? Who this?" <laughs> Sorry, I am no, I do not know this. Juice Robinson. I am Rock Hard Robinson. <laughs> it's a bit like the old um, Elias and Ezekiel prop- proposition. <laughs> we are not the same person. You fucking are. You've just got a slightly different haircut. I have no idea what you're talking about, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Then we go into like the main event of the evening, Okada versus Naito. I had a feeling that uh, Okada was going to retain, but you know, like I said, I was I was ready for anything by this stage in the evening when uh, all the other swerves and surprises that we'd had that night. But again, it was a class match. Uh, obviously, I'm a bit sick of seeing them. To be fair, so it took me a couple of minutes to probably get into it. But once it started going, it got going. And well, like 34 minutes, a lot of back and forth. But I legit, I said this out loud. I was on my own watching it on my tablet. But when Naito to do the Stardust Splash again, which it's, even though it's fucked up from so many times in these big matches and cost them greatly, I legit thought, no, don't do it. Don't do it. You miss it. You damn bastard. You. Like, <laughs> you should. Didn't work the last 20 fucking times you did. Why is it going to work this time? The definition of insanity. Honestly, this, like, and you know, we've kind of maybe, like, had this match overdone a little bit this year, like, between these two, but I'll have to admit, this was probably my favourite encounter between the two this year. Like, Okada pulled out some things that I've not even, I can't even, 
when the fuck did Okada learn the Emerald Flosion? Where did that come from? Yeah, that came out of nowhere. Like, it looked like he was going to Lancet, then he just busted it. Nope, that's an Emerald Flosion. Like, they don't even, the commentators aren't even, don't even call it an Emerald Flosion, but it, it pretty much is. That's what he's doing. Uh, and he tries to manipulate for most of the match, but eventually it's the, the he brings out the spinning tombstone, the proper one, and then Rainmaker to get the one, the old reliable, you know. Unlike unlike Naito constantly going back for this old splash, uh, he, he, when Okada hits these moves, he actually connects with them. You know, Naito, there's a reason you didn't succeed that much when you were the Stardust Genius because not just because you missed the splash, but people didn't like you. People like you now. Do the moves that got you here. <laughs> like there were a couple of things where like Naito went for where Okada went for like the landslide, and Naito counted in like the Destino, and there are a few near falls like that where I thought he was actually going to get the one. Uh, like I said, they kept enough turns up towards the end of it to keep you gripped for the full 30-odd minutes because depending on like, the style and the story of the match, when they try and go this long, especially with these two who love you know, going 25, 30 minutes, sometimes you, they lose you, but they never lost me during this. Yeah, that's this match was traditional, you know, 30-plus minute main event, but it never lost me at any point. Like Even though it's a match we've technically seen a few times and there's a lot of callbacks, they built on it. They, and I think it's something that, you know, Okada is very good at doing this when he has multiple title matches with the same people. He done it with Omega and stuff like that as well. They just add little layers. Like, they don't necessarily reinvent the wheel with the next match, mm-hmm. but they add something to it to give it that extra layer of complexity and depth and storytelling. And this was a beautiful, beautiful example of it. I, I completely agree. I completely agree with you on that. To be- Having said that, though, when the G1 comes around, please put these two men in opposite blocks so we don't have to see this for a while. Because as good as it is, there is, you know, the law of diminishing returns here. You know, Kido, you've got this on, you've got this Okada Nitro match on the stove. You've had it on for too long. You've overcooked it. You know, a couple months ago it was raw, but now it's overdone. It's black. <laughs> it's like now is the time to take a wee step back. But, you know, good effort. Yeah, turn the hob down a few inches. You're fucking burning the whole thing. Uh, but then Okada as he's dressing in a post-match speech I was waiting for someone to interrupt them because you know we're coming up for Dominion it's their kind of their summer slam but in June and so you know you expect something big to happen for their world title nothing happens he goes up on all four corners like he's taking a bit long in this in-ring celebration is someone going to run out unexpectedly then his music just stops and then Jay White's music hits and he pointed out on commentary like you know the last time we properly saw him in Japan was wrestling on Taki Lattery when he won the Never title. Maybe here he is a year later. You know, they thought, oh, he's pulling the strings from, you know, miles away. Like, but no, he was pulling the strings from behind the curtain all the whole time. He's he's back in Japan. And Okada basically is prepared, like, let me guess, you want a title shot? And he went, very much, aye. And then immediately Blade Runner, Bullet Club come out, they basically pose over the lifeless Okada. And Carl Anson gives us one of those classic Bullet Club go home promos where basically picks up how great everyone in the group is. That's it. It's, it was like, you know, big, big night for Bullet Club, big anniversary celebration. They lost a bit of gold. They gained a lot of gold and they, they looked rejuvenated. They looked ready. And Jay White, you know, I've we've, we've said this for so long, it feels like we've really been missing Jay in Japan. He's mm-hmm. back. And know what? I fucking pray to God he wins the big one. 
I, I am pretty into it as well. I mean, I'm pretty into it as well, and they wasted very little time in getting it uh, scheduled because uh, so far we've got four matches announced for Dominion uh, on the 12th of June. Obviously, the winner of the best best also the winner of the best of Super Juniors will fight Ishimori uh, at Dominion as well. Obviously, if you wait for the tournament to happen before you know who that is, but we've also got Jay White v Okada for the title in the main event. Great Okan, All Hail, and Jeff Cobb will get their rematch of the tag team titles. Anderson versus Tamatonga for the Never title, and a rematch between Taichi and Shingo. So, matches you pretty much expected to see happen, but all have something on the line. So, even just those four matches alone makes Dominion worth watching. Yeah, Dominion shaping up, and Dominion is traditionally the, the the show where your biggest surprises of the year usually happen. That's like where we had like fucking Jericho announces mm-hmm. intentions for Omega and stuff like that. So, with borders being open again, I have very very high hopes of Dominion. Yeah, yeah, you never know what to happen. Also, that's also the site of the uh, one year with Okada and Omega and a sixty-minute draw. And then they went that two or three falls match, about like an hour and a half, where Mega Friendly won the big one. So a lot can happen at that show. But also on the 14th of May in the US, we've got Capital Collision. Let me bring you through some of the matches that we've got for that show that have been in. We've got Ren Narita versus Carl Fredericks. I'm just reading it from top to bottom as uh, it has on the website. Another 12-man tag of Uemura, Tangaloa, David Finley, Rocky Romero, and Fred Ross are taking on Tom Waller, GR Creator, Danny Limelight, Drell Nelson, and Royce Isaacs. Creator Can, All Hail versus Chase Owens. The United Empires, Anare, Ozzy Open, and Jeff Cobb taking on Jonah, Shane Hayes, Mikey Nicholas, and Bad Duty. So it was a proper Mighty Don't Neil reunion in this show. But the TM61 back together. <laughs> that's, that's, honestly, that's going to, it's going to be an absolute. Like, they're. Really, they've got this habit where they make us forget about Strong for a little while. You know, they have some solid wrestling, but there's no really big meaty sort of talents. And then they come out with, oh yeah, here's a big special show just so you don't forget. What? Yeah, no. That's not even that. Then it really kicks into high gear here from this match onwards. A four-way for the US title of Tanahashi defending against Will Ospreay, Just Robinson and John Moxley. Like, I know Okada's on the show later on, but even with Okada on the show, this should be the fucking main event. And after that, you've got Brody King, Suzuki, Ishii, Eddie Kingston, and Beretta teaming with Okada against Hikaleo and Jay White. That's it. To me, like, the US title match should be the main event, and I'd have the two single special matches before it, and I would have like your Okada tag one in the middle. Yeah. Because also it's a US show and it's a tag match, so I have a feeling the heels are going to win that tag match made event to set up Jay's a big threat going into Dominion and everything like that. Because obviously, throughout the month of May, they, the juniors will be taking up most of the spotlight. And on the 15th, there's going to be a collision in Philadelphia taping. Uh, there's a lot of matches here, but also because the taping is going to be split across multiple episodes of Strong. But Here's what they have here on the website for this uh, collision strong tape in, in Philadelphia. Delirious taking on Aria Davari. They've got Ishii, Rocky Romero, Chuck Taylor, Masquerade, Dorado, formerly uh, uh, Grand Metalik, and Ren Narita taking on Hikaleo, the Good Brothers, Just Robinson and Jay White. Will Osprey taking on Homicide. Uh, Grey Okan 
Aussie Open and Hanare be Tia and the Mighty Don't Kneel. Uh, all four of them, as I mentioned earlier. Willie Mack versus Jeff Cobb. Jake something, we Brody King. QT Marshall, that's all we need. Taking on Carl Fredericks. David Finley v. Daniel Limelight. Killer Cross v. Uemura. Uh, the DKC, Kevin Knight and Alex Coughlin taking on Royce Isaacs, Doral Nelson and JR Kratos. Chris Dickinson v. Hiroshi Tanahashi. And Tony Deppin taking on Minoru Suzuki. It's a weird place, and I don't think this will be the order and how it's all taped and everything, but I like, love how I talked about oh, Homicide and Osprey, Jeff Cobb, William Mack, Geek something, and Brody King. And then I had to talk about QT Marshall right after all those big names. <laughs> it's like, yeah, oh, God, yeah, we've got to mention you, don't we? Fuck. Yeah. It's like when they did that like superhero intro to Family Guy Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and Meg. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, even though I don't know how much of it I'll get to to watch uh, on the strong saving side, it's looking good. And Collision, you know, a big show in the US where some of the stars are coming over there who won't be featured in the juniors tournament, but they get to progress storylines for Dominion before the next month or so is taken up by the best of the super juniors. Yes, it's back at its usual spot of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, as indeed, and also they, they announced it right about the halfway point of Dantaku, the, there is the full lineup, and I was really happy about that. But what what made me you know get excited even more so was when it was with A Block, and oh, they're doing blocks this year. And so let me run you through the full list of people who are going to be in each block on Try to find the bit on the website that has the blocks on it. Here you go. So, A block is Taguchi, Yo, Clark Connors, Hiromu Takahashi, Kanamaru, Ace Austin, Alex Zane, Francisco Akira, Taiji Ishimori, and Shaw. B block, Master Wattle, Robbie Eagles, Titan, Bushi, El Desperado, Doki, El Lindemann, Wheeler Yuta, TJP, and El Fantasmo. So, like I said, the doors are, and the borders are opening. You got Alex Zane in there. You got Wheeler Yuta from AEW, Ace Austin, the current X Division champion. You got Titan from CMLL, L Indeman, who they've been teasing stuff between him and El Despado for a while from the Glade promotion, everything. So, got TJP back in Japan for the first time in ages. So, and Clark Connors, you know, winner of the uh, that line freak tournament of the year or so ago. He, he's a competing in the Story J Cup before, so. Um, from New Japan Strong getting to represent them and first proper showing in, in New Japan for Francisco Akira after he making his random debut back at Hyper Battle. Yeah, all of them and I, I'm just excited because our our, our, our our young lad from the Blackpool Combat Club's there as well. The ring of <laughs> honor, pure champion. We are you. Yeah, I keep, for- I keep forgetting he has that belt. I never do. I'm a pure fan. Well, I'm a fan of the, the pure wrestling, but I just like because obviously he doesn't always come out with it, and obviously Brent Ron hasn't done much since he won it, so it's easy to forget that he's he's the champion because like unlike Samoa Joe with the TV belt, he's defended that title on on TV, whereas Wheeler hasn't defended his belt yet. But I remember like Ace Austin sent a tweet out about something after he won the exhibition title, and New Japan's global Twitter account quote saying, "Is it inevitable that we'll see him in the Super Juniors?" So when they're announcing people and they got through all the main suspects you expect for the actual homegrown guys, so you're like, okay, okay, get to some, announce some surprises, make some surprises. 
like, please be Ace Austin. And then Ace Austin going out, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a small part of me that wishes Chris Bay was amongst this lot, but I'm not disappointed. Uh, so, is anybody that, like, who are you most surprised to see when the doors opened up? And is there anybody who you wish could have been included? I mean, I think one of the one of the ones that kind of like, the, I'd I'd say like to me like the the biggest sort of like surprise that I, that I didn't expect was Wheeler Yuta. I did not expect mm-hmm. him to be in there, and I feel that AEW's done a real good pre- pre- um, effort lately of presenting him as a future big name star. They've got like Regal and that behind him, and I can just picture William Regal turn around to him going, "Best of Super Juniors, Wheeler. Remember, losing you're at the belt Blackpool Combat Club." <laughs> Like you may not always win, but make sure you leave some bloody scars for those who tend to remember you back. <laughs> I <laughs> like Blackpool. I <laughs> Sorry, I mean we go sound like he's from Blackpool via Yorkshire. I mean, look at like Alex Zane, huge Frances- oh. Francesco Akira. That is like, like that that A block. Both blocks have just like they are, are ridiculous, but in particular the A block for your kind of like high flyers and that. It's gonna be fucking ridiculous. Yeah, it looks a bit more stacked, but then again, you've got this, the inclusions of like ELP, who's always you know entertaining from a character perspective. TJP, getting to see him mix it back up again. We'll finally get that L Lindeman v Desperado match in B Block, and then like you said, Wheeler, you are being involved. Titan as well. You know, it's very interesting to see that. And Robbie Eagles, it feels like ages since we've seen him as well. Like I think I actually don't think he's been around since he, he and Tiger Mask lost the. The junior titles back at the Hyper Battle Tour. That's it. He's kind of had a wee bit of a, a wee bit of a spell off. I know he's been watching things because um, he, t- he, t- he tweets occasionally about watching it. Um, but I mean, like Titan, like you know, wow, not exactly. I'd say a big surprise. He's been quite a regular in the past, but it's still nice to see that CMLL representation and bringing him back over. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, looking at the looking at it. Unless I'm missing something, that's pretty much the first best of Super Juniors in a good few years that doesn't have any of the young lions. Yeah, I mean, to an extent you could say Connors, but he's been featured so prominently over in the US and the LA Dojo that, you know, he's almost not wrestling as a young lion. He's, represent, he's a representative of like New Japan Strong almost, because that's been kept separate. And these to hype up the idea of the competition between the two dojos. So that'll be very interesting to watch. Francisco Kia, I look forward to watching because I've only really seen him once and I was there to see him live against Daz Black at Fear and Loathing and that was a hell of a match. So my only real reference point for him, but it was a good one. So getting to see a more prolonged showing of what he can do, well, that's, that can only be good things. And they've already uh, announced the full lineup of like matches and to what's happening on each tour. So it's starting this Sunday, the 15th of May. Uh, the first night was the A block, and you know, I'll give you the lineup just right now. But also, they're bringing back the tag matches before shows, not involving people who are well, involving some people who are in the V block, but there's also some heavyweights in there. Uh, I mean, it'll probably get to a point where I start skipping some of these, but you know, uh, the first A block uh, set of matches are going to be Ace Austin v Clark Connors, Zane v Kanemaru, uh, Akira v Show, Taguchi v Hiromu, and Yo. Taking on junior heavyweight champion Ishimori. Uh, also, I'm not going to go through every night, but we'll go through first ones of A and B. First night of B block is Lindemann v. Doki, Bushi, El Fantasmo, Eagles v. Wheeler Yuta, 
Watto versus TJP and T10 taking on El Desperado in the main event. So, looking at the uh, the matches, also no one who we know are in each block, so that means everybody has to face each other once, but no one who's in what block with each other. What matches me to stand out to you? Like, I don't know what night that's on, but when that match happens, I'm looking forward to it. And that's like they've like they've really like done a good job of pacing out the matches and that, but like there's so many, like that I'm honestly I'm actually struggling to decide what matches I'm looking forward to the most because it's probably the most excited I've been for the Super Juniors in a good couple of years. It's mm-hmm. it, it it feels you know unpredictable again. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like there's an obvious like I I've got my ideas of who I think is going to do well and how how things are going to end up, but. We we know by now, we guess these things, and usually we are fucking well off the mark because Gado has got this really fucking weird way of just going. You think that, but guess what? You're wrong. <laughs> yeah, just uh, like I, I agree with you. Like I'm happy that they, they separated Desperado and Hiromu. They don't didn't try and go back to that well again. Try to relive 2020, and and they had that great match. It was a draw in 2021. But I like, I'm interested to see what happens when when Yo gets to have a rematch with Hiromu after what happened at Dontaku. Uh, the 18th when the main event match is, is going to be Hiromu v Akira. That'll be a hell of a match. Basically, anyone in A Block v Ace Austin, because I'm such an Ace Austin fan, <laughs> through his time in Impact. So that's something I'm looking forward to. That Lindemann v uh, Desperado match, when it eventually happens, is going to ha- is going to be great. Because they've been already teasing it. I think the, the main event for B Block on the twenty second of May is going to be Wheeler U of Desperado, which should be awesome. That is a big one for me because, like El Desperado can be both a powerhouse and they can be incredibly technical, and Wheeler Utah is resilient as fuck and also technical. So, yes, please. <laughs> also, I'm to see how Clark Connors gets on. Is he going to be like the idea of like? He's still technically like barely new, so he's going to take a lot of losses to prove himself. Or is he going to be the guy that gets like some upsets in this tournament? That's it. You just you don't know where they're going to go with this. Um, I, I don't. When I look at it, I don't see anyone being. I'd say if I was to choose someone from each block to be your kind of guy to take the more losses, I'd probably say Clark Connors in Block A. And as much as I love him, sorry Bushy, but I think it's going to be you in Block B. Yeah, I think it'll be Bushy or Doki and, and Block B, you know. I'd rather it be Bushy, no offence to him, but, you know, you know got to have Doki. He's got the most dangerous weapon in all of New Japan, the Doki Choki to back him up. Well, if they pick favourites in this, because he's so new and the idea that maybe they want to push a new member of the Empire and somebody help take over the junior division, I, couldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if A Block went to Akira and I wouldn't even, would be bold, but you know, I could actually even see him taking the whole thing. In terms of B block, it's virtually harder for me to see a winner outside of Desperado because also he's just lost the belt. So you can tell a story of him trying being desperate to get it back. That's it, uh, like uh, B block, El Desperado feels like the obvious choice. Um, I'm potential leaning towards El Fantasmo in B block. Mm. Oh, yeah, like. I've been I've been desperate to see him win the junior heavyweight title for a long time, as you know. So if he won B block, I wouldn't be, you know, surprised. Especially now that they've kind of gotten rid of the storyline around the around the the boot and like and being exposed, which was a big 
he saw the point of him like losing matches and he couldn't get over it. Uh, so now, now he's maybe focused again, then hopefully he'll actually get some more wins this time around. And A-Block nice. usually is more... That's I mean you you're you're nailing exactly my thoughts on the on on the mark right there. Yeah. It was a bit frustrating. I'm like, I oh, just I remember watching him in some matches I wanted him to win during the last was like, just fucking kick him <laughs> kick him in the face. <laughs> like usually kick in him in the balls. Blocks, usually these multi two block tournaments, usually a block is more stacked and is in terms of like potential winners of that block for a block, but even though I've said like, maybe Desperad or Fantasma was the potential winner, there is still some quality in there, even if they're not going to win. Some guys to make a, a mark for themselves in New Japan over in the B-block, say, with your, your TJPs, your Lindemans, and your, your Wheeler Utahs. I mean, that's thing. When you look at it, it's kind of got the whole, like, Block A is technical more stacked in the eyes of, like, big-name talent, but... I've got a feeling Block B is going to be the one that's going to pull out the matches that are going to make you go, holy shit. Well, the losses that Ace Austin takes is going to be interesting for me because you know he's going into this as the current reigning X-Division champion, so is that going to open the doors for some crossover if somebody beats him for the beats him in a non-title match during the tournament and then they pop up over and and Impact Wrestling like somebody like a show or like Alex Zane beating him and then popping over an impact wrestling. But this this is really like actually one of the big things there is the fact that um if you go across it like there's essential is that at least three champions across the two blocks, Ace Austin, Ishimori and Yuta. Yeah. So we we've actually got so many And and also you've got the two the two tag champs like spread across like uh Taguchi in one block and Water on the other. That's it. It's just absolutely fucking unreal. Mm-hmm. Like they, they're, they're stacking it with champions, veterans, people that are looking to make a name for themselves. Uh, Akira is going to be one to watch because I've watched, I've been checking out like clips and highlights and matches of his online to get more of an understanding of him. And oh yeah, we are in. For a fucking tree. Yeah, I can see him going like a maybe not fully going undefeated, but going like a shingle twenty nineteen esque run in his block. You know, as the new like guy coming in to you know carve a path uh, of dominance in the division. And even if he doesn't win this tournament, if like TGP sticks around as a junior, Akira and TGP is a threat for tag team titles. Could be interesting. That's it. When I look at it, and I'm like. Akira, I, I don't think we're ever, or at least not for a long time, see someone recreate the uh, the shingle magic. Mm-hmm. But I definitely see big things coming out of a few people in this tournament in particular. Some people are going to get their names, not that they're not already made, but they're really going to go up a level from this. Yeah, I totally agree with you. We could be here talking about it all day, but we've been here long enough, so we're going to have to wrap up there. Next time we come back, I'll be probably post-Dominion talking about everything that happened in this tournament and then what happened with the winner going up against Taiji Shimori for the title. Uh, Ishimori, I'm sure, will will remain strong, but he's not going to win the tournament as the champion. That's very much a rare thing that happened in these kind of tournaments. And obviously, Dominion with G-White v 
Okada and Bullet Club being all through that show. I'm sure there'll be a lot of talk about it. And hell, we'll even next time we come back, we'll have Capital Collision to talk about. So could we could we have to split those two shows in a across the month because there's so much to talk about? And we'll just have to wait and see what what happens in New Japan over the next month or so. But I'm hopeful that when Dominion comes around, like Kelly they did in Dotaku, that and at Dominion they make an announcement about the G1 because. They, they announced that the G1's back in its regular July August slot. That's it. We're we're going we're back to our normal times timetable for the first time in two years. So that's going to confuse the shit out of us. Yeah. Oh, talking of, of juniors, by the way, before we go, uh, something I wish I happened a month earlier so we could have shown up is the whole thing of Kushida quietly leaving WWE, but he said it's expected he'll be back in New Japan by sometime in June. Why can't you decide that you wanted to leave a month ago so you could have been in this fucking tournament, Kushida, you selfish bastards? No, no, I, I've heard something. I've heard a rumour, and I hope it's true, and that is Kushida wants to come back in as a heavyweight for the love of all that's holy. Let it happen. Yeah, because I remember when he had that six fan, when he left matches where on the other side with Tanahashi, he said, like, this was important for me because, you know, this has been the only chance I would have gotten to face someone like Tanahashi. So if he wants to come back in as a, as a heavyweight, then fair play. And yeah, if it happens, then get 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 Kushida in the G one. That's it. It's so many possibilities. We, we will find your, out soon enough. We don't need your Yujirozi or Yoshihashi's clogging up the the G one blocks when we could have people like Kushida. Like get them to fuck. That's it. We can. We've we've had enough of that. The time of the the time of the foreign wrestlers coming back in is now. Dream matches, ahoy. Absolutely. Uh, so hopefully we have. So we'll be back next month with a shitload more to talk about. This has been a long one. I'm assuming the next one will be even longer. So thank you for listening to this episode of East Meets West, which you can find. Uh, Every so often on these Sleep So Big Retreat podcasting feed on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast from, as well as some of our great shows like the ESR Feature Show, where recently we had a show on the best, the funniest wrestlers and funniest wrestling moments. And we've got shows coming up about shows like NC Takeover Chicago 1, Extreme Rules 2011, and so many other things coming up. We've also got ESR Central every Thursday, our weekly roundup news show about everything going on in wrestling. And we've also got uh, Saturday Draft Live every Saturday. We're looking back at our, e- our ESR Fantasy Draft. And you can follow us on Twitter at SuperTweet as well as Facebook and Instagram. Also at Suplex Retweet. And please join our Facebook community page where you can answer questions, get read out on Central, and join our Listeners League for our Saturday Draft Live. Another piss ripped out of you every week on Saturday Draft Live. <sighs> so I've been talking for far too long. I need to lie down now. Too much wrestling. Too much <laughs> wrestling in the world. Too much podcasting to do. Thank you, Grant, for joining me for another hectic bloody month as we prepare for yet another. It has been a pleasure. Something tells me that next month we're probably going to have to either either do two episodes or record one big long one and split it in two because there is a shit ton coming up by the looks of it. Oh, yeah. I think we'll have to play it by year depending on any announcements that happen between now and like end of the Super Juniors or some point at Dominion, so we're going to have to be tactical about this, how we schedule this. <laughs> uh, 
Anyway, thank you all for listening. Hopefully you'll stay tuned with all the madness we've got to cover going forward. And we'll see you next time. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.